Welcome to Chasing Three Hours, a podcast about what runners are chasing, why they keep pushing themselves, and what keeps them curious. I'm Josh Peterson. Today's interview is with Jody Seminel. We talk about how she got into running ultra marathons, why she'll be running across the state of Nebraska to end the month of August, and a whole lot more. Enjoy today's interview with Jody Seminel. Jody Seminel, welcome to Chasing Three Hours. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I begin every podcast by asking a question that I cannot wait to ask you because you literally <laughs> just finished it. How was your run today? It was great. Um, I actually did half my run uh, before I came in. So yeah, just ran around here in Dundee and I forget uh, how hilly it is over here. It's, uh-huh. it's definitely not like Lake Zerinsky. <laughs> no. how, many, how many miles did you end up getting in? Just three. Just three. Yep, and you yep. got a few more after after yeah, the podcast? Yeah, I'll finish up after, after we're done. Awesome. How many miles do you like to get in? in a day over the course of a week like does it does it change like I always wonder about that with ultra runners in terms of like a plan and how you kind of go about that so I have a coach so uh-huh. she makes those decisions for me um I would say on average it's probably I don't know 70 to 90 miles a week um so like Monday and Tuesday this week it was 10 miles today it was six okay um so it just kind of depends on the train we're at in the training cycle as well um of course I'm just coming off hard rock which was two weeks ago so I'm kind of recovering from that, but then also prepping for the run across Nebraska. So she's, at this point, just trying to keep me healthy between the two big events. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, as of the time of this recording, you're about, what, two plus weeks now removed from, from Hard Rock? Yeah. Um, how's your body re- recovering? How, how's it holding up in that post-recovery period? <laughs> Actually feeling pretty good. Um, Hard Rock didn't beat me up too bad. Um, and I think it was because it's really not a lot of running. Uh, it's straight up and straight down. It's a lot of hiking. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even know what my pace was. I'd probably be embarrassed to even say what it was. It was probably somewhere between 20 and 30 minute miles for the whole race, which is mind blowing. Um, it took me between 47 and 48 hours to finish 102 miles. So you can do the math and know that there's not a lot of running in there. (laughs) Yeah, I've told somebody recently, and it might have been John Keeler, who was a guest uh, about a month or so ago. And I I said, like, I'm I'm ultra running curious at this moment in time. And I've been talking about it with people. Derek Lowski, he connected us together. And I... I, I was telling him, like, yeah, I think I'm going to talk to her after Hard Rock. And he said something like, yeah, that one is brutal. Like, that one's even <laughs> difficult for even seasoned ultra runners. What makes that one yeah. so difficult compared to some of the other ones you've run? Oh, gosh. Um, so it's probably the altitude. That's probably the biggest challenge. So there is a 14er in there, um, probably about mile 40. You climb up Handy's Peak, which is above 14,000 feet. And then there's probably eight climbs that are at least 13,000 feet and you just go up and down and up and down and it's hard for somebody from Nebraska (laughs) to uh, train for something at altitude like that Um, and just the long climbs. um, There's nowhere around here where you can just train for those really long climbs. Um, We have Hitchcock which there's a, a Haneke Hill, which is 0.19 miles long, and it's 180 feet of climbing. 
So you can train on that and do that several times, but there's just no way to simulate just, you know, those five or six mile climbs that just go straight up the mountain. What's the reaction that you get when you go to these races and and you'll just have a conversation with somebody you've never met and, and you're, hey, where are you from? And they tell you and then they ask you and you say Nebraska. And, and we have we have ultra runners here who are very successful. We do. But I have to imagine that the reaction is still like, what? How do you train yeah. for this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People ask that question um you know should you really be here <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're really taking a risk on this one aren't you yeah. um but yeah yeah it's uh it's uh it's a challenge yeah. to say the least so it, it was tough for me yeah, it really was for sure um let's go back to the beginning of your running career i know that in in 2011 some personal stuff happens in your life and yeah. that it seems like that sent you down uh, the path that you are on still today, before that, were you into running at all? Was it something that you did growing up in school? So not really. Um, I ran, I don't know, like the, the 800 meter, maybe in junior high or something like sure. that. Uh, but yeah, in high school, I was the party girl. Um, I was a, started smoking at 14 years old, mm. sad to say. Um, and I always did kind of like the idea of running, but just knew it's probably not something I'll ever be able to do. And um, I, the older I got, the more I liked the idea of running. You know, at work, they they would sponsor like the Corporate Cup, which was a 10K, and I do that every year. But I'd still be a smoker, too. Uh, there were a couple years where I did the Lincoln Half Marathon. I had some friends that signed up to walk it one year. And I'm like, oh, I'll sign up and run it. And so I finished and went back to the car and waited for them. And I had my bib on and I'm sitting there smoking my cigarettes. <laughs> had to and be a visual for some people. I like- know it. I know. It's just crazy when I look back on it now. Um, but yeah, 2011, Christmas Day, um, I lost my biological father to lung cancer. Mm. And he was 60, so not very old. Um and at that time, I thought, boy, I don't want my kids to have to face something like this, you know, because I'm choosing to kind of go down that same path. So I decided I was going to quit smoking, and I signed up for the Lincoln Full Marathon in May 2012. So I trained for five months for a marathon and did it all wrong, as we all do. Of when course. We're trying to train for our first marathon. Uh, but yeah, finished it and and had the best time and ended up doing the Omaha Lincoln the Omaha Marathon. What like two or three months later and uh, yeah, just loved running. And, so immediately you're taken to it. I, oh, immediately, yeah, I got sucked in real real quick. Wow. So when do you do you remember when you signed up for it? Like how soon after after his passing that was? Uh, it was like a week. I think wow. back then they used to open registration I'm- on New Year's. Eve or New Year's Day, something Super like early that. in the so, morning. Yeah, I remember it was, it that. It was a yeah. week after he passed away. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And so it seemed like running was the obvious choice, I guess, for you as you want to make some healthier decisions. Because yeah. I, I always find that interesting when I talk to, to runners about like, why why this instead of biking or swimming? And <laughs> it always seems like the, the barrier to entry is probably the easiest, right? Like you don't have to own a pool or have right. a gym membership. You can get some shoes and go outside. So it's something yeah. like that for you. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Just get a pair of running shoes and and start running um yeah what what do you what do people that were in your life back then 
think of what you are now, the type of person you are 11 and a half years later? Oh, I'm very different. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. So, yeah, back then um, I would go out often Friday, Saturday nights uh, with my friends. And uh, now the thought of you staying awake past nine o'clock. Sounds is, horrible. It sounds horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went to a concert last week and went to Sioux City to see Volbeat. And, oh, the concert wasn't over till about 10 o'clock, and I was so tired. I just wanted to go home and go to bed. It's like, gosh, I can't hang like I used to. But I really don't want to. I like going to bed early, getting up early on the weekends, and grinding out those long runs. And, and so are there, like, friends or family from that time in your life, and they're still, like, are they still surprised that, that this has happened? Or now, I mean, it's been over a decade, so I have to imagine at some point, like, they're, they're pretty used to it. Because I still have people who are like, I can't believe that this is what you have fallen <laughs> in love with over the last few years. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, my family still thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> Nobody in my family runs. This was never something that uh, they saw coming. And mm-hmm. here I am 10 years later. It's like, oh, my gosh, now she runs these 100-mile, 200-mile races. Why? <laughs> yeah. And, and the why, it seems, is... Because you dealt with injuries, right? Yeah. You had shin splints and that. And so it's so funny. You you had injuries from running and the answer is not run less. It's run on different type of gravel, right? Yeah, Essentially, is that what it was? That's what it was. So, um, gosh, what year was it? 2014. I was sidelined with my second stress fracture, which when we all start running, we all seem to get stress fractures mm-hmm. from running too fast, mm-hmm. ramping up miles too fast. Yep. Um, and so when I came back from the injury, the doctor said, Hey, you ever thought about running on dirt? It's like, Oh, that sounds horrible. No, I haven't thought about that. I don't want to run on dirt. And so I thought, well, maybe he's on to something. It's not supposed to be as hard on your joints and your bones. And I'm getting older. So uh, 2015, there was a new race here, uh, the Hitchcock 100-mile, 50-mile. And I thought, well, I'll sign up for the 50-mile race. Mm -hmm. And I seriously thought Iowa, cornfields, dirt roads. I had never been to Hitchcock before. So when I went there for the first time, after already signing up for this 50-mile race, I was just like this place is ridiculous. This isn't even running. I no, no. I this was a horrible idea. I should have <laughs> stuck with pavement. I don't know what that doctor was thinking. But anyway, yeah, I started training at Hitchcock and uh, trail running on dirt, uh-huh. and turned out I I loved it. And probably three weeks before the actual race, the Hitchcock fifty at the time, uh-huh. I decided I'm going to switch it to the hundred mile race. Because it started in the morning, whereas the 50 miles started, I think, at 9 o'clock at night. And I thought, well, I could sign up for the 100. And even if I just do half of it, I'll just, you know, I'll be done by probably by dark. (laughs) Don't have to stay up late. Yeah, I don't have to stay up late. And so I messaged the race director and I said, hey, I think I want to switch from the 50 mile to the 100 miles. Okay, if I do that, it's like, okay, who are you? (laughs) We don't even know who you are, but okay. So, yeah, I switched it to the 100-mile distance, um, finished my first 100-mile race, and decided that was my new favorite thing. I liked that more than training for marathons. And, yeah, so 100s became my my distance of choice. You mentioned uh, you get out there to run it the first time, and you mentioned you love it. Like, what, mm-hmm. what was it about 
that versus running on pavement that that quickly drew you in? The challenge. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that's that's kind of what sucked me in with the marathons, just the challenging yourself. You know, yeah. well, how far can I push my body? And then you go out and and you check out this new place. It's even more challenging, and it's it's harder. It's hard to run up the hills and down the hills and. Yeah, it's, it was really more the challenge that sucked me in, and I just absolutely loved it. That was my thing. I'm always surprised. You know, I don't run on trails a whole lot, and every time I do, just the mental, how I have to change the operation mentally because I'm you, you have to look all, you know, I feel like I'm just looking at the ground so much more than if yeah. I'm just out there on, on a regular trail. Yeah, that is very true, and that's what makes it hard going out to some of these races, like, for example, Hard Rock. It was beautiful out there, but you, you're just looking down at your feet because you don't want to fall. So you have to look down and, and just watch the rocks. Um, but another thing that I find when I take roadrunners out like to Hitchcock or any you know trail for the first time is the pace. You know They expect to go out there, oh, I'm still going to run a nine, 10 minute pace. Like, no, out of Hitchcock, <laughs> if you can, you know, do sub 12 minute pace, you're you're crushing it. So yeah, <laughs> that's often adjustment for people that they go from road running to, to trail running is it's a little slower. Yeah, absolutely. Plan on a few more hours. You mentioned yes. at, the, at the outset of the conversation, your, your coach now, what so what was it like then as you find, hey, I'm taken to this, I'm going to start doing this. What what is your relationship with a coach at that moment? Or are you still kind of, I don't know, searching online, reading books? What, what was that like? So back then, so that was 2015, um, I was kind of on my own. I had a friend that was kind of coaching me along, but not really giving me paces, just giving me distances and times to run. So I would run those distances and run too fast and then end up injured again. Yep. Um, so in 2017... I was, well, let me back up. I actually qualified for Boston at the Lincoln Marathon in 2016. So you're still doing road racing. Yeah, this time. I'm doing both. And so um, in 2016, I, I ran a couple marathons and just trained too fast. Sure. Ended up getting injured again. So early 2017, I'm preparing for the Boston Marathon and I'm having some pains and I go and see the doctor and he said, yep, you have a stress fracture in your fibula now. And, oh, did you know you have one in your heel, too? So I had two stress fractures, like two months out from Boston. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I just keep breaking myself. i obviously not doing anything right. So he refers me to Christy for physical therapy. So I go in and see her, and she puts me on the Alter-G, which is um, the anti-gravity treadmill. Basically, you just kind of hang in a diaper thing and and just run uh, with, you know, maybe like 70, 80, 90% of your body weight. And I told her, I said, I'm obviously not doing something right. I I think it's time that I have a coach. Would you coach me? And she's, of course, I'll coach you. And she'd been treating me actually since 2012, my first marathon when I ended up with the shin splints. Uh, the doctor referred me to her then, and she was doing Graston and, you know, treating me for injury, but starting in 2012. So it was about time yeah. that I hired her in 2017. So she got me back on track. Um, I ran the Boston Marathon. Um, obviously, wasn't my best time, um, considering I had two stress fractures when I ran it. Um, but she has actually been my coach since 2017, and I have not had a stress fracture since 2017. 
Um, and I have run Boston every year since then. And this past Boston 2023 was my fastest. Wow. So even though I'm getting older, That's awesome. um, I'm still able to to stay healthy, not break myself and, and still get a little faster along the way. What is it that keeps bringing you back to that race? Oh, it is just amazing. The whole city just embraces the the, the people that come there for the race. Um, a couple years ago, I had gone out there by myself and I flew in and I was just so hungry and I... Um, like go straight from the airport to a restaurant, still dragging my suitcase. And I'm sitting at the bar and two people down next to me, they buy my lunch. And then after the race, um, I I went to dinner. And again, I'm sitting at the bar having a drink. Somebody buys my my dinner. And I was wearing my medal, of course, because, you know, I got to be proud. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Boston Marathon. But they just treat you like royalty out there. And just the camaraderie. I mean, you've got 30,000 people that also run. Yeah. We're all doing the same thing together. It's just, it's just amazing. As I've fallen in love with running more and more over the last few years, because my running journey really goes back, I think, to 2020. Um, you know, I'm not always surrounded by people that love it like I do. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to start this podcast so I could have more conversations with people that do. And then I went to Chicago last year and that was like the first time I'd been to like a true big marathon in this time frame. And I see all the jackets, all the Boston, all the New York, all the Berlin jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, these are my people. <laughs> and so, like, I just, you know, Boston is now, uh, at the time of this recording, what, eight months away. And I am just seven months away. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what it's going to be like when I finally get to that weekend. And yeah. I, I, I don't, Kid in the Candy Store, I guess, is oh, how absolutely. I describe it. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, going back to what you said a few minutes ago about challenging yourself. So I was reading a, an article Um, an older article about Courtney DeWalter Mm -hmm. this week. And there was a quote that she had in there about having an eagerness to explore the limits of human endurance. Like, I wonder if you think that that kind of fits yourself as well um, and and what's happened with you over the last, you know, 10, 11 years. It absolutely (laughs) does. Yes. It's all about how far can I push? Um, What's the next hardest thing that that I can do that that's really what it is I mean if you just look at the progression from start to where I am now I've done a lot of difficult things along the way and I'm like okay well what what else can I do that's difficult obviously I'm going to do this run across Nebraska which is almost 500 miles in a couple weeks um, I want to do bad water one day and when I say that people look at me like why that just sounds like hell literally (laughs) literally it's like 120 degrees uh, 135 miles on pavement. Why do you want to do that? Because it's hard. It's challenging. You know, I just what I just all about pushing the limits, pushing the boundaries on what I can do. What, one of those um, events that you've ran in was Western States oh, yeah. back in back in 20. I mean, just, just seeing your face light up. What, yeah. what do you remember about that? Oh, that was amazing. I, again, that was like a kid in a candy yeah. store. It's one of those races you never think you'll be able to do because it's hard to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to run a qualifying race just to enter the lottery. And then um, there's so many other people that are entering the lottery. Your odds of getting in are are slim. So if you get in, you are super lucky and you get to go see one of the most iconic 100-mile races out there. It was just Amazing, like start to finish. I just had a big smile on my face. Loved it. How important has running community been to you? As you have, as as all of this has happened, as we, you know, we're continuing to go back in time and forward in time. How how important has that been? Whether it's 
runners around here? Because it seems like you have a great crew here in in the Omaha area. And then obviously when you go to these events and I imagine you see people, hey, I saw you at that race. I saw you at that race. How important is that for you? Oh, it's very important. Yes. Um, I've been through a lot. I mean, especially over this last year. Uh, But my running family, like they have been there for me whenever I need them, day, night. Um, If I need to vent, if I'm having a good day, bad day, um, they're always there for me. And and I'm always there for them. Um, It's fun to have your circle to, to share the crazy adventures with. And I definitely have those people. They're, they're kind of like my, my family I choose to have versus the ones that I get stuck with. <laughs> that, that, yeah, you're forced to have. Yeah, yeah I saw it like, because you, you won, um, is it Across the Years? Is that the name of the race? <laughs> yes. The 200 miler in Arizona at the start of 2020. And, and I, I found an article and you mentioned all the support that you got from people in the race and they're texting you and they're blowing up your yes. phone. And, and it reminded me of, of, again, Chicago, you know, when I, when I stopped and I, I immediately pulled it out cause I wanted to make sure that I got my BQ yeah. and I get on my text and I, the number that was, you know, in the bubble at the top, right. Or whatever, I couldn't believe how big it was. And it was all of these individual conversations. Like the group chat was pretty large, but then it was like, I didn't even realize this. Why are you following the race? And so, like that, I thought that that was such a cool moment. And you know, oh yeah, to think very, back to- it's very motivational. Yeah, to cross the years. So it is. Um, it's a one mile loop. Oh, so it's pretty boring. Yeah. Um, and so you have plenty of time, especially during the night, because a lot of people will go and sleep in their tents or sleep in their campers. You're out there kind of just by yourself, just doing loops. So I would get my phone out and check and see what's going on. And yeah, everybody's just blowing me up. You know, you're doing awesome. Great job. You're crazy. <laughs> I've had, one of my coworkers even tried calling me because she, she work related. I'm like, really? Come on. <laughs> Come I'm on. doing a race. Yeah. But yeah, sidebar, um, if you ever get asked to crew uh, one of those races that is a very short distance, like a one-mile loop, know that it's a lot more work than crewing somebody at a race that might be, you know, you see your runner every 20 miles or so. My mom and dad, um, they crewed me at Havelina in 2018. They didn't know they were going to do it, but they they showed up and like, well, we can't just leave you here. So they ended up staying and, and had the best time. So they basically just sat in the tent and they drank beer. And every four or five hours, I'd come through and they'd throw me some gels and fill my bottle and, you know, maybe change my socks or whatever and send me on my way. So when they came to across the years, this one mile loop, it was like every nine or 10 minutes. I'm like, Hey mom, can you grab me some shoes? Hey mom, can you throw me my AirPods? Hey mom, can you fill my water bottle? It's a lot more work crewing somebody with those, uh, really short. <laughs> yeah. Or you see them a lot. You see them how a often, lot. How often do you crew? A lot. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have a, a good circle of friends that if they do a race, I'm going to, uh, go along to crew and pace as well. Um, like this weekend, for example, I have a friend that's doing, uh, Trail of the Dragon, 50 mile. Um, and that's why I asked if we could reschedule yeah. because she wanted me to come to crew and, and pace her during during that race up in Ida Grove this weekend. So she comes with me. I go with her. And then, yeah, we've got a little circle of people that, that do these crazy things. And we just kind of help each other out. What's the uh, what's what would you say is the most important part about being a, a crew member? Because it's interesting. You get to see it from both sides. You get to I crew and then you get to have crew members yeah. as well. So... <sighs> For to, I think to be a good crew, you need to know what your runner's going to need before mm. they know they need it. 
Um, if they're coming in at a certain time of day, you got to make sure when you send them back out, they've got light, they got their nutrition, they have their hydration, make sure, you know, they've lubed what they need to lube. You just kind of know what they need to be prepared for before they go out um, because they're usually so out of it. They, they're not going to remember, oh gosh, I, I need to grab five more gels before I head out. So yeah, you just kind of have to stay on, on top of things and, and of course be encouraging. Yeah. That can be hard sometimes if somebody's in a dark place to talk them out of those dark places, but it, 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 they pass, they pass. They always do. You know, cause I still haven't, I haven't done one. Um, <clears throat> the mental fortitude is something that I, I think about a lot as again, I, I remain ultra curious just because as, as people will often talk about, you know, you have a bad time in a marathon and, and that can last, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, depending on the runner and how fast you're going, you have a bad time at a hundred mile race. <laughs> I mean, we're talking hours where yeah. you are inside your, your own head. Do you, do you have a way that you find yourself maybe helping get, get yourself out of it or helping get somebody else out of it? So I'm pretty fortunate in that I usually don't go into those dark places. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's my old age that kind of helps that I forget sometimes how tough things are or how hard something might be. Um, I, I say I'm like a goldfish. If you ever watched Ted Lasso, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but for another person that's struggling, I think just reminding them this is going to pass. This isn't going to last forever. Yeah, it's going to suck right now. But you knew it was going to suck at some point when you signed up for this. So. Let's keep trucking along, and then we'll get through this. And they come out the other side, and it's fine. For sure. But. How, how do you choose which races you want to run? I mean, like, some of them, obviously, are, like, these iconic races. Yeah. And then other ones, you know, as I'm looking at some of your races, I'm like, I've never even heard of that one before. <laughs> um, how, how do you go about choosing what you're going to do, like, on a yearly basis? Yeah. So I'll do, oh, gosh, probably 300-mile races a year, and it's usually – Something that ha- that is a hard rock qualifier or a Western States qualifier. And then I might mix in something local if I was able to, to finish one of those qualifying races. And then I always have to run it by my coach, too. If I didn't have her, I'd probably be doing a race every weekend and I'd be so badly broken. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I drive her crazy enough as it is because there's been times where I've done 100 mile races like two weeks apart. Oh, my gosh. Um, when I ran Coca Dona in 2021, I ran Boston. Two weeks later, I run a 250-mile race. So I know she gets really cautious and very selective on what I run. So I have to make sure it's something I really want to do if I'm going to do it because uh, it, it recovery after tapering before, I mean, you got to take into account the, the time for that. And uh, it's usually – the biggest thing is, is it, is it a qualifier for, for yeah. something else down the road? So for her as your coach, uh, Christy Nielsen, yeah. um, she seems, and, and it was the same with Derek, for you kind of pulling back on the reins a little bit, yes. like making sure you don't <laughs> you know, pa- surpass a mileage or whatever uh-huh. it is or an effort. What's the accountability portion of that? Like I've never had a coach ex- outside of being in high school and running cross country and track. I've never had a coach in a, as an adult. So I always wonder about the accountability because if I'm remembering, she's not on Strava. Is that correct? She is, but she usually doesn't check on her runners. So you have to be kind of the yeah, one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would 
always stick to what she gave me. Like if she said, okay, you know, you're going to run, you know, eight miles and I want the first two at this pace, the next three at this pace, I will stick to that pace. Mm -hmm. When I first started with her, it was hard because she slows you down. And that's one thing, again, as a new runner, I think we all make that mistake is we just run everything at marathon pace. Mm -hmm. That's how we end up injured. And come to find out, no, you're only supposed to do that like maybe twice a week. So um, slowing down was really hard. Now it it comes naturally. Second. It's natural now. Yeah, the easy runs I make them easy, um, and I always check with her before I sign up for a race, just because again that accountability. She'll be like, okay, if you want to do this race, then you're going to have to you know not do this other one. Or okay, tell me what your A race is, what's your B race, because training is very different. Training for the Boston Marathon is very different than training for a 250-mile race. So it's a tough balance. <laughs> what, what keeps you coming back to the like the road races and the marathons? Oh, gosh. Probably just Boston. Yeah. Just Boston. Um, this 2024 will be number eight. So I'm trying to do the, the streak. Uh-huh. So if you can do Boston 10 times... After that, you only need to qualify. You don't need to have, you know, a two or three. Gosh, wait, one year it was a seven-minute cushion. You don't have so to So you're have good that to go. You just need a BQ. Yeah, you just need a BQ once you, you do it 10 times. So hopefully I can do it 10 times, and then maybe I'll back off the road races a little bit. I don't know. I'm doing Chicago this year. Have you, have you done Chicago before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, and it's not that it's easy. If I had to choose... A marathon or a hundred, I would choose a hundred. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't know if I, in my brain it's easier to do a hundred. It's easier to train for a hundred. I enjoy training for a hundred. I don't necessarily like the speed work to train for a marathon, but I still do it. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did 5k training this summer and I left that in, in a, like appreciation and awe of 5k racers. And I was like, no, thank you. Like I, I will, I will, I will continue to work five k training into my repertoire over, you know, during really my off seasons, if you will. But man, it is. It's very difficult. I ran. I did a mild time trial a few weeks ago. That was brutal. I make the. I mean, I'm 200 meters in and I'm making the turn and I'm like, this sucks. My chest <laughs> feels like it's on fire right yes. now. I would much rather run 26.2 miles any day of the week than exactly. just do a mile at that type of pace. Yeah. Have you run? Have you done New York? I have. So, yep, you, so I you've did done the, you've done the big three. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Do you have any desire to do the other three world majors? Yes and no. Um, it's just the cost yeah. of traveling. Yeah. Uh, when I first started running marathons, yes, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then, of course, I wanted to hit all the states as well. I wanted to be, I think they call it marathon maniac when you hit all fifty states. But once I Found the hundred mile distance. I'm like, I really love this too. Hundred miler in every state now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if every state has a hundred. Yeah, you but just have to go there and run it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably just have to to do a, a kind of a my own hundred mile race, which I've done before. Uh, Hitchcock 2020 was canceled, and I did go out and run it anyway. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. We'll see. I wanted to ask you about. COVID and 2020 and what that was like. It seems like, I'll use the phrase fork in the road moment again, but it seems like that for so many people in their lives, whether it's with running or anything else. I know for me, that was, you know, I'd started running at the beginning of that year. I wanted to lose some weight, wanted to get healthier. 
Uh, I signed up for the Twin Cities Marathon, and literally three days later, you know, we everything shuts down, and I tell yeah. my friend who I signed up with, like, I don't think we're running this one anymore. And I remember thinking in that moment, all right, I've had two bad marathon experiences. Like, I don't have to train anymore. And I'd also signed up for the Lincoln Half, and so I decided I'm going to keep doing that. That went really great, and I was like, of course now I'm going to run. I'm going to do a time trial on my favorite trail. And I did. So I went down one path. I know other people maybe would have gone down the other. I assume that that wasn't even a question for you in 2020. Yeah. So 2020, I was actually registered for the Tahoe 200. Mm. So I was still training pretty hard um, when COVID hit. And that was part of the reason why I did it across the years. I wanted to make sure physically my body could do that kind of distance before I paid, you know, a lot more money to do the Tahoe 200. So, yeah, I kept training um, mostly by myself because of the social distancing. Yeah. Um, and then I did, you know, a lot of the virtual runs there. Um, there was a 50K along there. And then there was like a run across Tennessee that Laz did. So I did that one. So, yeah, I did um, a few different virtual things. And, and I logged a lot of miles in 2020. And then Tahoe 200 was supposed to be in September and it, and it was canceled because yeah. of COVID. So I jumped on the wait list for Moab 240, which was, I don't know, a month later. And I ended up getting in off the wait list. That's awesome. Yeah. I imagine that wait list was long at that point in time. People just wanting to run in a race. Yeah, because there was a race that was actually happening. Um, And it worked out for me because I had a friend that was registered for Moab 240. He had a cabin rented. He had crew and pacers lined up. And he was injured. Oh. So I was able to use his pacers, and then he and his wife went out there, and then we used their cabin, and then they take took care of me while I ran the Moab 240. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What a great story about the running community. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was amazing. It was awesome. Um, I actually did really well. Um, I ended up getting second place, female. So I was very happy about that. And I give much of the credit to the crew. They were awesome. Again, they were like, we know what you need before you need it. And they just were on top of everything. So I get in and out of those aid stations. And I, uh, yeah, I absolutely loved that that distance. And then that's when I got sucked into the Cocodona 250 the next year. Um, and yeah, it's like, okay, I thought 100 was great. <laughs> 200's pretty great too. What, what is, I guess, what's the biggest difference between... A 200-mile race and a 100-mile race in terms of preparation, focus, you know, all of those things. Yeah, um, probably the hallucinations, the requirement of sleep, which is really hard to do, um, eating, which is really hard to do. So um, with Moab 240, that took me 83 hours and I slept less than two hours. Oh that my whole gosh! Time. Just because yeah. you can't fall asleep? No, I can't. I try. Like I will get in the car and I'll close my eyes and I'll think of all these people that are passing me. <laughs> like okay, come on, sleep, sleep, sleep. And then I'm like, okay, guys, I can't sleep, so I get back out of the car. And they, you know, send me back on my way. Um, but yeah, that's really hard to do. And then just eating, you can't do. 83 miles, or excuse me, 83 hours on just gels. Yeah. You have to eat. Destroy your stomach. Oh, yeah. You have to eat real food, which is really hard, especially when it's hot. (laughs) 
So, yeah, those are probably the biggest challenges for me. Yeah. Do you have a go-to, like, food that, like, if if anything is going to work, this is going to be the thing, and I'll go with this now? Um, Sort of. So I found um, what's called infinite nutrition. It's kind of like Tailwind. Mm-hmm. Um, you mix it in with water, and it's 250 calories. It's got, like, 600 milligrams of sodium. Um, we call it food water. When I did... Cocodona the first year, maybe it was the second year, I can't remember which year, I was able to consume that for two whole days and I had no issues. I was totally fine. Um, but other than that, it's it's hard to find even just a go-to that will work when nothing else works. Peaches, watermelon, um, but those don't have a lot of calories. Yeah. And you need a lot uh. of calories, you know, when you're pushing your body like that, so... It's tricky. It's hard. You mentioned laying in your car and closing your eyes, and then you think about people who are passing you. (laughs) I was going to ask you, what type of competitor are you? I I kind of answered it, but you could expand on it if you'd like. What what kind of competitor are you with with doing? Because I think it's so cool to think back to the beginning of our conversation. You talk about just enjoying the challenge of everything, Mm -hmm. but you're also wanting to to win or place as high as possible. Yeah, yeah. I do want to do well. And it seems like um, the length, like going a longer distance is kind of an equalizer, um, whether among gender or ages. Yeah. I mean, I'm 50 years old. Um, so to compete with somebody that's in their 20s and 30s, you know, that's that's hard to do. But, you know, we go the longer distances. It's, you know, you can kind of level out the playing field. Um, so, yeah, I still like to do well, I am competitive, but I know some uh, hard rock, for example, I can't be competitive there. That's just don't die <laughs> at a race like that. But something like Cocodona, where there's there's elevation, there's a little bit of altitude, but you can still do relatively well. Um, the, the two years that I did Cocodona, I still did top 10, yeah. top 10 women. Um, so I was pretty... What is it about the longer distances that you think levels the playing field? Is it because it becomes so mental? I really think it is. Yeah, women are pretty strong when it comes to those um, endurance events. Well, you mentioned Courtney. I mean, yeah. she's won races outright. Yeah. Um, and she will attest to that, too, that it's women are tough. Yeah. <laughs> we we can push through, especially mentally. We can push through, I think, a lot more than, than a lot of men can. So yeah. it's... It is an equalizer. Uh, I was told to ask you this: Did you run the depletion mile after Hard Rock, where they do you, like where they apparently the next day, every after so this is a hundred mile race, and then apparently some real true sickos get together and they do a <laughs> mile, and <clears throat> I think the winner like this year recently ran like a sub six, oh, and I God. said that sounds like hell, <laughs> and I cannot imagine I can't imagine how anything would feel. But I always just think about my quads first. Oh yeah, yeah. So you did not run into the depletion I did not, mile. No, no, um, no. We let's see. I finished the race Sunday morning, like at five thirty a.m., and we went back to the hotel and slept for I don't know two or three hours, and then got in the car and drove home. Oh, I say we drove home. I slept in the car and spread Mindy, out. I hope. Yes, yes. Mindy drove drove us home. Um, but yeah, we both had to work on Monday, so we didn't get to stick around <laughs> oh, for the no. for the award ceremony and, and the depletion mile, darn, because that sounds really delightful. <laughs> <laughs> what hurts the most uh, after a race like that? 
It's it usually is the quads. Yeah, it usually is. Uh, surprisingly, my my quads weren't bad after Hard Rock this year, um, and it's probably just going up and down Haneke Hill at Hitchcock. Uh, it definitely prepared my quads for the downhills, just not so much the the uphills. Yeah, I could definitely make time on the downhills out yeah. of Hard Rock. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the uphills were so slow. I didn't know it until after the race that I was basically chasing cutoffs. The entire time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Thank God you didn't know, right? I, thank God I didn't know. Nobody told me. Because, um, like, even going into the aid station, you know, I'm like, do-do-do. You know, I'm in no hurry going into the aid station, getting what I need to eat and drink and go on my way. Um, no, it wasn't until, like, the last maybe four hours of the race, Mindy said, so uh, if you want to finish this under 48 hours, um, you're going to have to speed it up. <laughs> and that's really all I needed to hear. I was like, okay. Um, and at the perfect time, probably, the right? Perfect time. Like I yeah. said earlier. If it would have been any sooner, I may have run out of gas. But at that point, I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. So any of the downhills, I'm like, you know, passing people. I'm running off to the side. Now I'm tripping over everything, stumbling on rocks. I don't know how I'm staying upright, but I'm staying upright like, okay, you know, you just, I haven't gone this many hours to now not make the cutoff. I, you know, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. Um, start vomiting. It's like, okay, it's okay. It's fine. I'm still moving. Um, yeah. And I cut it really close. I finished in the golden hour, which is um, the last hour of the race. But yeah, had I known, I would have been so stressed out the whole time. And it, I don't know if I would have been able to finish it. I think she told me, at the right time when I needed to know, okay, it's time to uh, speed things up if you want to finish this in under 48 hours. Oh, my God. A great crew member. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I always wonder, you know, you mentioned just going downhill. That When I start thinking about Boston, I that's like the one thing that I'm like, okay, I got to make <laughs> sure around here that I that I train properly, mm-hmm. that I, I run on, you know, do some long runs on some hills. So that will be, uh, that will be very interesting. Yeah, the uh, first half of Boston is downhill and it's easy to destroy your quad. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of horror stories of people like, yeah, it's going great. And then, you know, you get to the first of the of the Newton Hills and it's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> now, now I'm in so, a lot yeah, of pain. Yeah, here's that hill they warned me about. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> um, you mentioned running across Nebraska. If you don't yes. mind talking about why you'll be doing that. Yes. Um, I'm going to try and do this without getting emotional. Um, so I lost my son a year ago to carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, so I'm also going to say check your carbon monoxide detectors. Make sure you have one. Make sure it's working. Make sure you're putting in new batteries every year. Um, so I lost my son and his friend Thomas also died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And their friends want to build a skate park in Millard to honor the two of them. Um, They were both skaters in Omaha and they loved uh, taking in, you know, new skaters under their wings, similar to how we runners like to take new runners under our wing and and teach people. Um, And so I'm running across the state of Nebraska to one, raise awareness of carbon monoxide poisoning and um, make sure people have their carbon monoxide detectors but also to raise funds for the skate park that their friends want to build in Millard. So I'm actually starting at the Wyoming border on August 22nd, and I'll be running 50 to 60 miles a day, uh, not on I-80, but kind of along the I-80, um, you know, through like Grand Island, North Platte, Kearney, Ogallala, Lincoln, York, 
Um, I think those are all the big towns that I roll through. And then I will come through Omaha to the park where they want to build the skate park on August 31st, which is the day that we lost the two boys. The emotions of that week and a half, I can't imagine them. And and you're doing something physically difficult as well. Yeah. Um, and that is part of the reason why I want to do it at that time um, to focus my attention on something else um, physically. You know, I can physically control, you know, what's going on with my body and, and doing that run for what about 10 days um, versus what happened that day. It's still going to be a hard day, yeah. but it, I think it will be um, better for me to be focusing on something else like running. We talked at the beginning of the podcast about what got you on this path in the first place. I wonder how you feel about running as something t- like for healing for you. Definitely. It is definitely um, what I use for healing. It's my therapy. Um, I run after work and work is super stressful. I have a very stressful job. I work from home, so I'm lucky about that. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I need to get out and just run and just kind of forget about the day. Um, you know, there is the 31st of the month, every month is always a tough day for me. Um, his birthday was a week ago. That was a tough day for me. Everybody knows that's in my circle knows those days and knows Jody's going to go running that day. She, you know, she might want us to join her. She might want to be alone. Um, so those are always the days I get, have to get out and run because that is my healing. That is my therapy. Um, that's how I, you know, deal with how I'm feeling. Yeah. It's, has it has it been that way for you? Would you say over the last what now eleven twelve years? Oh, absolutely. And it's, I just assume it's ramped up over the yep. last year. Yep. Yeah. When I, uh, before I started running, I was on um, different anxiety medications, kind of get through the day. Uh, once I started running, I didn't have to take um, the, the anxiety medication anymore because, you know, just the changes in your body from running every day. It's it's just, it was so much better for me. Definitely. Yeah. Um, to, I guess to shift kind of back to something that we were talking about. Earlier, the community, you go for these long runs on weekends. I mean, how how important has that been, too, for the healing process that you can go out for? I mean, I, I get on Strava on a Saturday or Sunday, and it's like, hey, they're out for four or five hours. I mean, mm-hmm. that has to be incredibly valuable for you. Oh, it is, and I love it. I we, we get up every Saturday, Sunday morning, and, yeah, we spend four or five, six hours at Hitchcock just with friends and just talking and venting, and, and sometimes there's silence it's just we're there for each other, and um, it's the best therapy I could ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, we'll include a link in the show notes for uh, where, where people can go to donate. Fantastic. And, and I I just realized as you're t- this episode will drop on the Friday before all of that begins. Oh, okay. So this will drop on the 18th uh, okay. before all that. Okay. Um, what's your favorite part about running? Oh, boy. Uh, that's a tough one. There's so many good things about running. Um, I love... Running somewhere new. I mean, even tonight, just running around Dundee. Um, you know, I've run out here a couple times, but it's been a while and I have a bad memory. So it's like it's all new to me. Um, meeting people, um, encouraging new people. That's one of my favorite things. Somebody that, you know, is just kind of getting into running. 
um, just encouraging them to do crazy things. Uh, we have a, a group that does, um, well, Carrie Iton. I don't know if you know who Carrie is. Um, she likes to organize these group kind of 50Ks. She did uh, one a year or two ago where it was like a brewery 50K. So we'd go every six or seven miles and hit a brewery. Um, she did a taco run once where we did, you know, like a taco truck every six or seven miles. And people would come out, some of them never even having run a marathon before, and they end up doing a 50K that day. Wow. Like that, yeah, they never imagined doing something that crazy. Um, the Kool-Aid is really strong sometimes. It's <laughs> it's fun talking people into doing crazy things. Um, I work at Peak Performance part-time, and I get a lot of people that will come in and say, oh, I'm training for my first marathon, and I just get so excited. Okay, let's get you some shoes. Okay, what are you going to do about nutrition? Like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about nutrition. What about salt? I don't know anything about salt. Okay, you come to the right place. <laughs> so, yeah, I love talking to new people about running. What do you tell them when they say, like, I want to get into it? Or when you try to tell someone about the joys of running and prophesize about running, what is it that, that you, like, always think of to go to? I guess it probably changes person to person. But. It does. Yeah, it does. Um, I always like to find out, you know, what's what's somebody training for? Yeah. Is it the Lincoln Marathon or is it something as crazy as the New York City Marathon? Because... You know, so maybe somebody got into the lottery. It just, yeah, it just kind of depends. Um, it's it's just such a fun sport. There's just so many cool places you can go and places to see and people to meet. It's just great. Um, I, I've wanted to ask this question for like the last four or five episodes, and I just always forget to or I haven't worked it in. So you're going to be the first person. What is your favorite kind of run? And I feel like you are the perfect person to ask this to first, given that you do road races still. You do marathons. You do two. What's the longest distance? I guess you've done 240 or 250? 250. 250. So, I mean, you that's a you know, basically 10 times the amount of a marathon. <laughs> when you think of the perfect run, it could be training. It could be a race. What comes to mind? A long Saturday run at Hitchcock is what comes to mind. Yeah, just... Um, you know, going out running for a couple hours, come back to the car, you know, maybe have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, go back out a couple more hours, come back, chug a Coke, go back out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just those long runs. I love the long runs. Um, there were a couple long runs in the spring um, where it was too muddy to go out to Hitchcock. So we would just start out in Millard and run like 20 miles to Iowa and just Stop at gas stations along the way, get some pizza, and cross the bridge over into Iowa, and then cross the bridge, and then run back into Millard. And yeah, just just those long days of running when you got nothing to, to worry about but just run. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finish every podcast by asking my guests about what they're chasing. It could be a literal time goal, it could be qualifying for something, or it could just be a feeling. Jody Seminel, what are you chasing? Oh boy, that's 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 a good one. Uh, Oh, the probably the next hardest thing. Um, <laughs> so, I, like I said, I want to do Badwater. I hope to do Badwater next year. I want to do the ten-year streak at Boston. Um, I want to get safely across the state of Nebraska here in a couple weeks. I'm always chasing something. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> Jody Seminole, thanks for joining me on Chasing Three Hours. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Jody Seminole for joining me on today's episode. Thanks to Ian Alio for production assistance, as well as music and sound design. Thanks to Riss for the cover art. 
Head to Chasing3Hours.com for more from me, including my weekly newsletter, as I write about my experience training for the 2024 Boston Marathon. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and maybe share with a friend as well. New episodes will drop on Friday mornings. Enjoy your long run this weekend. <laughs>